When someone asked who or what killed the Pac-12, tell them it was USC. You are Locked On Trojans, your daily podcast on the USC Trojans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Fight on, everyone. I am your host, Mark Colkin, and thank you for making Locked On USC your first listen every single day, or at least five days a week. Whether you're watching on YouTube or wherever you like to download your podcast, we are always free, and we always want to say thank you to those of you who are enjoying the show, hopefully. If you are watching on YouTube and you haven't done it yet, do me a favor. There's a subscribe button. Hit it. And if you like the show, also like it. And to the thousands of you who are who have already done this, this, done this, this great favor. Thank you so very, very much. All right, this episode of Locked on USC is brought to you by FanDuel. FanDuel is the official sports book of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com forward slash locked on to get started today. So it's not quite official. It's dying really slowly on the vine, but the Pac-12 is dead. Expansion is having a really tough time. Uh, George Klyovkov can't get that TV deal. And he's out there courting some teams that uh, five, seven years ago, you would have never thought no way possible. Well, Pac-12 expansion has taken on a very ironic twist. Probably the two football programs most well-known for their NCA sanctions, they're going to have one more thing in common, at least one more link to each other, potentially. I mentioned this on uh, yesterday's episode of Locked on USC, and it looks like this move is picking up some steam. But when USC leaves for the big conference, SMU could be taking its place. So from the USC fighting Methodist slash Trojans, they leave to go to the big conference. In come the Southern Methodist University Mustangs. One has a pony on the side of their head, on their helmet. The other has a beautiful white horse that gallops around the Coliseum every time USC scores a touchdown. See the similarities? It's even better. Both of those football programs. And SMU probably deserved it, but... Uh, Both those programs were nailed to the cross by the NCAA. They literally, SMU was given the death penalty. In today's version, the NCAA literally gave USC the death penalty. When you take away 30 scholarships over a three-year period in today's version of college football, you can't compete, especially with USC. Now, look, that's when USC was sent to purgatory. Basically for doing nothing, especially when you consider what's allowed today. And we can talk, we'll talk about the Reggie Bush situation on another day. We have plenty of time during this offseason. But when USC was sanctioned, every single team in this conference, top to bottom, they danced with joy. Because the big bad wolf for the Pac-12, they were taken down. They couldn't do it, took the NCA, making up charges 
So all those fat little Pac-12 piggies who were getting fat uh, off of USC's market value, well, their house was literally just blown down. It wasn't just blown down. It was blown up. And this is why Pac-12 expansion is having a hard time selling itself to the TV executives, the networks. Um, and George Klyovkov is finding out that, you know what, without USC, Pac-12 isn't worth anything. Uh, sources told the athletic, uh, the athletic, great magazine, by the way, check it out, that a lack of bidders and the Big 12 jumping the line may result in less money than George Klyovkov had envisioned. So isn't it weird how karma has a strange way of coming back and biting? I mean, think about this. The Pac-12 still doesn't have a new TV deal in place. And now the conference is literally begging teams. As I mentioned, that wouldn't, should never be even considered in the past uh, to come be a part of the Conference of Champions. Remember, there's over, I don't know, 275 national championships leaving between USC and UCLA alone. Stanford's going to have to hold that baton in the Pac-10 for a while. Uh, and I, you know, look, I have a big heart. And I, I kind of feel bad for Washington. They're stuck with Oregon and Stanford as the conference brand recognition. Those three schools, Washington, Stanford, Oregon. Maybe ASU, Arizona in basketball. So remember when Oregon thought they were going to like, they were going to just get to choose which conference uh, that they were going to jump to? Oh, they, they were convinced. Oh, well, it's open market. Everybody wants Oregon and their, and their brand. Yeah, well, that didn't happen. Um, and apparently, as I mentioned, none of the TV executives think they're worth too much either. Otherwise, why isn't there a TV deal in place with, with Oregon's great brand and Phil Knight's Nike money, right? I mean, what does it say when San Diego State and SMU are being called upon to generate eyeballs and interest? Look, I get it. San Diego TV market, what, 1.5, one and three quarter million people. The Dallas market, two and a half million. Okay. Let's not forget, Dallas is a Dallas Cowboys town. It's not an SMU town. But they'll get some interest. And if you want to peel back the layers, you're, you're opening up some recruiting markets as well. So I understand it from that point, point of view. But let's just be honest. It's it's too late to beg for USC to come back. And, and one of the reasons why USC wanted to leave was so she could maintain her competitive advantage. Just being in Southern California. And they were losing that losing that that foothold being a part of the Pac-12. You know, USC has its built-in advantages that places like you know Athens, Georgia, or Tuscaloosa, Alabama, College Station, Texas, 
those places don't have those types of advantages that USC has. The ocean, the weather, the mountains, the the entertainment. Um, and that's maybe that's why, excuse me, USC doesn't need to spend nearly four and a half million dollars per year entertaining teenagers. We're going to talk about that more in the next segment coming up. But first, we're going to talk about FanDuel. Because this year, FanDuel is the only app you need at your Super Bowl party. They are America's number one sportsbook. And we're really excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they're the number one sportsbook in America. And again, that is FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and really super easy. Download FanDuel now so you can bet on Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. Listen carefully. You're going to get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Well, I mean, it's almost like losing is winning. Say it again. It reminds me of Rick Neuheisel's famous punting is a winning quote. Look it up. FanDuel literally is going to let you bet on everything from the money line, the point spreads. Who's going to score a touchdown? You love those prop bets. <clears throat> FanDuel, the FanDuel Sportsbook app is safe, it's secure, and it's super easy to use. Best of all, you can get paid. You do get paid your winnings instantly. So join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to claim your no-sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All right. As always, thanks again for making Locked On USC your first listen every single day. Also, I want to make sure you check out our new brand new podcast, Locked On College Basketball. Everything you need to know about college basketball in one place. Plus, you're going to hear from big name experts, insiders, coaches, and the players. Locked On College Basketball, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Oh, by the way, USC and Oregon, they're going to be playing uh, Thursday night, ESPN2. Check it out. No. By the time you're watching this, the game will have already been played. Anyways, just a reminder, USC Hoops, they're doing pretty well. But going back to uh, our topic of hand this evening, do you ever wonder how much it costs to recruit the best talent to come to your to your university? And I'm not even talking about the NIL stuff. That's a The NIL is basically a signing bonus for all these young men. No, I'm talking about the... The, the school's recruiting budget. USC keeps their books pretty pretty tight, pretty close to the best. Um, but let me assure you, those they know how to go. They know how to have a good time. They when they're hosting uh, some big recruiting weekends, they go all out, red carpet, the whole nine yards. Now. Um, Here's the thing. Places like Georgia, Alabama, College Station, it's not that they're so much remote, but a lot of the top-end talent that doesn't come from that area comes from the West Coast, from the Midwest. A lot of these young men have to get on, jump on an airplane just to get to those locations. 
So um, at USC, that's not necessarily the case all the time. There's so much great talent right in their backyard. So according to a report that was in the USA Today, and this was actually through a, through a newspaper in Georgia that USA Today reported this, Georgia football spent $4.5 million on recruiting trips. The Bulldogs spent just over $4.5 million on football recruiting during the school's 2022 fiscal year, according to an NCAA financial report the Athletics Department provided Wednesday to the Athens Banner Herald in response to an open records request. Texas A&M was number two at $2.98 million, Tennessee number three at $2.92, Texas at $2.44 million. <coughs> Pardon me. And Alabama, wow, last place, $2.32 million according to documents obtained by the USA Today Network in partnership with the Knight Newhouse Data Project at Syracuse University. So what do each of those programs have in common? They're all members of the SEC or will be in a year, Texas joins. To put all that into context, um, Michigan, big conference, they spent $2.24 million. That's less than half of what Georgia spent. The only other school that has reported so far, Michigan, um, to have spent more than $1.85 million. Here's how the value was calculated according to this report. Excuse me. The recruiting expense totals in the latest NCA reports cover transportation, lodging, meals for recruits, and school personnel on official and unofficial visits for a period that, for most schools, covered July 1st, 2021 through June 30th, 2022. It also accounts for phone charges and postage for pursuing recruits and the value of school vehicles and planes or those used by the school for recruiting. Like I said, I have no idea uh, how heavy USC's recruiting war chest weighs. But again, I do know this past year, they went big. Um, I know one recruiting weekend. <coughs> no, I can't talk about the actual dollar number, but they went big, big. Well over six figures. And uh, whether they got the return on that investment that's up to them to decide. But here's what we can compare. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry about this cold allergy. I'm not sure what it is, but I do apologize. Uh, Georgia has 73 people on their football support staff. And six of those people are designated strictly for recruit. I was told that USC has 47 support staffers. And... Knowing what was going on at USC not too long ago, uh, that's like a thousand percent increase, and that's not hyperbole. That's that's fact. Uh, there's an old picture of USC's support staff floating around, floating around out there uh, that Scott Schrader shared on We RSC not, not too long ago. USC sta uh, support staff before pathetic. I can't say it any other way. Pathetic. It's a lot better. 
here's the thing. As impressive as the uh, as those numbers sound, and they are, to me, this just seemed a little bizarre. I mean, spending four and a half million on kids, showing them good time with fancy cars, limousines, fine dining. Yeah, I know. If you're old enough, you'll remember Robin Leach, Lifestyles of, Rich, of the Rich and Famous. 16, 17-year-olds doing this? Come on. Right. we got to put the genie back on the bottle a little bit. We're talking about kids being treated like this. Mostly kids. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> like I said, USC knows how to, they know how to treat their guys well on official visits. And I know that there's some past stories out there that could make some of those parties look like, remember that movie Super Bad? Yeah. That stuff really does take place. So, uh, does USC need to do more if they want to compete with Georgia and the Alabamas? Sure. Absolutely. They could do more. But what if they're kind of gearing up for the, you know, we know they're moving to the big in 2024 and they're kind of getting that infrastructure in place, making sure they have all their ducks in a row, I's dotted, T's crossed. Uh, so when they get to the big, they're just prepared to hit the ground running because they're going to be recruiting against Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin, and then all those other traditional Midwest programs, Iowa, Nebraska. Competition stepping up. So I talked about the infrastructure. Remember, Remember when everyone thought USC gave up on football? And then all of a sudden, Mike Bone, Brandon Sosta, they were just quietly working behind the scenes, and they were setting up the Lincoln-Riley project. No one saw that coming. So even though Brandon Sosta is gone, you know, he's moved on to the Detroit Lions, I'm going to continue to give Mike Bone and his people the benefit of the doubt until I should, because so far uh, we might not see the move coming, but it seems like every time they make a move, it it looks like it's the right move. So on that note, as I said, until I see signs of they're not getting the job done, uh, I'm going to stand behind USC's athletic department because I think they're moving in the right direction. Usually when you don't hear about anything, something big's about to pop. People have been asking about USC's new facilities. Lincoln Riley has hinted about it. He's talked about it. He mentioned it to us at the round table. But you don't hear anything about it from USC. Hint, it's coming. So I don't know when they're going to make an announcement. Hopefully soon. The offseason could use some big, great news, right? Call it a gut feeling. Who knows? All right. So I was reading the internet and I came across a story where from the NFL PA, the NFL Players Association Executive Director, Dee Maurice Smith said on Wednesday 
that the annual NFL scouting combine should be done away with. He's calling it an intrusive experience for, for aspiring players. Okay. Um, I'm sure Mr. Smith is a great guy, but just reading his words, he sounds like a hypocrite. Because he also says that he's fine with the same type of testing process while well, those are being done at the pro days that are typically held at the players' schools. Quote, it's got to start with players and their agents understanding that the combine today has nothing to do with how fast you run, how high you jump, and how you can and how much you can lift. We're now in an era where we know exactly how fast these guys, excuse me, how fast these guys can run, how much they can lift, and how far and how far they can jump, and they can do all those things. Why do we insist on showing the showing up in Indianapolis? Um, and he's talking to reporters in Phoenix ahead of the Super Bowl. It's for the teams to be able to engage in intrusive employment actions that don't exist anywhere else. So he's asking, why are we doing this? They don't do this anywhere else in any other type of job opportunity. I really hate when people compare professional sports to any other type of job opportunity. They are so completely different. I mean, comparing the NFL combine and a pro day to any type of other employment, it's just, it's dumb. It's, it's a job fair specific to that industry, as opposed to a job fair for people applying for other types of jobs. You want to know how specific we're talking here? Let's use a doctor for an example. Would I prefer my doctor to be in great health, not overweight? I mean, of course, that's going to give me a lot more confidence if he's telling me um, about a healthy diet, how to live longer. Do you see the incongruency here? I got a fat doctor telling me how to eat healthy. Meanwhile, he's probably 100, he or she could be 150 pounds heavier than me. Bottom line is, I'm trusting them for their knowledge. They went to school for a really long time. Just the fact that they don't follow their knowledge <coughs> doesn't discount they don't know what they're talking about. I'm not going to interview them about their diet during this process. The NFL, this is what it comes down to. Billionaires are paying millionaires of every race, re creed, religion, whatever. And they're being paid a lot of money to play a game that requires intelligence as well as strength and speed. And those things need to be measured in person during the interview process, under pressure, not looking at game film. Of course, it helps to look at game film to see how these players produce. NFL executives are looking at tenths of a second. 
that's that's the difference between first round and second round money. And here's the bottom line. If you're okay with this type of stuff going on in the pro days on campuses, what's the difference? Oh, and one more thing, Mr. Smith. You are invited to the NFL Combine. You are not required. And as you stated, a lot of players go to the NFL Combine to do the interview process, and then they will wait a little bit longer and perform at their own pro day. So they're choosing to, to be poked and prodded and being stripped down to their underwear. It's not intrusive. Remember, they're being invited to the combine. They're not being forced to show up. So that's my rant. I just, look, maybe I didn't read deep enough into this, and I'm sure there's some other underlying issues that I'm just not aware of. So educate me. Help me out here. What am I missing? Because for the life of me, if players feel, you know, like I said, if they feel it's intrusive, decline the invite. Wait for your pro day. I don't know. To me, this is just another symptom of just the changing times. I don't get it. Players sitting out bowl games. I get it. They want to prepare for the NFL Combine, ironically. Weird, huh? Explain that one, DeMaurice. you got some players in college making more money than assistant coaches. Changing times, just got to accept it. More changing of times. Cross-country conference football games. And that's, to me, still going to be really interesting to watch unfold as this happens. I mean, think about it. USC getting on an airplane to go play Rutgers in conference. And then eventually, not eventually, in a year, you're going to have a 12-team playoff tournament. All right, you know what? Let's just get this thing started. Times are changing. Some are good. Some are bad. You know what? They're not bad. We don't know. Whatever happens, happens. But what we do know, this is the end of this episode of Locked on USC. It's the end of the week for Locked on USC. But we will be back again with another five episodes, just like we do. So, until we're back, don't forget to go check out uh, our new podcast, Locked On US, Locked On College Basketball, because they're going to have all of your insights from the insiders, players, coaches. <clears throat> and oh, by the way, you'll be able to find out what happened between USC and Oregon. They're playing Thursday night, big game. March Madness is coming up. So, Locked On College Basketball, wherever you get your your podcast. And don't forget, it is free. So we'll be back again next week with another edition of Locked on USC. So until then, you know what to do.